Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. I'm your host, John Williamson, and this is a special bonus episode. Long time since we've done one of those. So um, I know a lot of you have been asking about the new theme music I've been using. Uh, it's from our dear friend, Clay Kirchenbauer, a.k.a. Forrest Clay. Clay literally has spent years working on this music, and it reflects his own spiritual journey uh, in, in regards to some frustrations with the church, moments of sadness at how we treat our fellow humans, and he really puts um, words and music to a lot of things a lot of us have felt or are currently feeling about the state of Christianity, specifically in North America. So I sat down with Clay, and we talked about each song on the EP. It's called the Recover EP, uh, after which you'll hear a clip of each of those songs. Uh, we've never done anything quite like this before, so hopefully you all enjoy it. You can get the Recover EP anywhere music is sold and stream it in all the usual places. And at the end is a special treat. It's a brand new song. It's not on the EP, but it's a brand new song that just released called Child of War that you can also find anywhere you find your music. So without further ado, I give you Forrest Clay. Every single week And I gave you my money So that you would tell me what to All right. Welcome to the podcast, Clay. This is a special little bonus episode we're throwing out here. Thank you so much for having me. It is a uh, privilege to be, uh, to finally be a guest on my favorite podcast. (laughs) Well, it's cool. Yeah, we got to tell the backstory about how we even met um, in the first place. So um, I think, was it the first time we met uh, in person, an actual person uh, at the uh, Science Mike event? Yes. Yeah, it was. Um, we had, I talked to think Adam on the phone after you guys used something, one of my earlier releases on the show. And we had talked on the phone for a while and found out that we were only two hours from each other. So, uh, yeah, we went down and went to that show together. And, um, after, uh, a very fun filled evening, I like a schoolboy, just asked, can we be friends, please? (laughs) <laughs> and you guys were like, that's not a weird thing to ask at all, but sure. And uh, and we've been friends ever since. It, it definitely wouldn't be weird for Adam, because Adam's just <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I'll be friends with you. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, that's, so, that's so funny. And um, I, yeah, I think I'm trying to remember the episode specifically, but I think if I remember correctly, was it, um, shoot, Catherine? No. Yes. Yes. From Biologos. That's that was right. the first okay. time you, yeah, that was the first one, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I remember that now. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. so this has been this has been years ago, so this is mm-hmm. going back probably, what, three to four years ago now? Oh, yeah, for sure. If not, maybe even longer. So uh, I'm just trying to figure out exactly when we started the podcast, and I think it was the end or beginning of 2016. I can't remember. Time is relative now, Clay, in pandemic times, but... Absolutely. <laughs> About six years ago or so. So, um, yeah, so let's talk about this EP because uh, this has been a long time coming. You've been working on it for about 55 years. Yeah, and feels like it. <laughs> no, but you've been, you have been working on it for a while. And mm-hmm. I remember one of the first times I heard some of these songs uh, is when you came and uh, performed before our Denver event uh, several years ago now and made a man covered in tattoos sob uncontrollably. Uh, <laughs> 
He was an awesome guy, by the way. I think he was a former youth pastor or something like that. And uh, really, really nice guy. But uh, I mean, absolutely hit home because this EP in general and talk about kind of the inspiration for it, but really is centered around deconstruction. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, like many people my age um, who grew up in church, um, 2015 and 2016, uh, I really started asking some questions for me in particular. I had actual like theological questions. Um, for me, it started with um, creation theology and kind of snowballed from there. But add on top of that, um, all the political happenings of 2014, 15 and 16 and watching the church kind of go the direction they did made it so much um, more like tangibly real for me that um you know, uh, the system that I was brought up in wasn't who they said they were. And, um, and so I just started writing songs about it. Yeah. So as a musician, I imagine that's probably how that's your way to kind of, uh, vent, vent these things or process these things out is, you know, through your, through your art. Yeah, absolutely. And like, personally for me, like I am, um, I'm someone, I don't know where this falls in my Enneagram number, but I'm like terrified of like conflict. Like I do really bad with conflict. And so writing and releasing music that say hard things is kind of like the way I can um, have a chance to articulate what I'm actually thinking and feeling outside of like that moment of conflict where my brain and uh, just kind of shuts down and freezes up. You know what I mean? Like I can actually... Uh, articulate a thought and have time to to craft it and uh so this is for sure my uh, outlet yeah that's that's brilliant man and, and a lot of these songs cover a lot of pretty heavy theological uh concepts or ideas that you're kind of wrestling th- you know with throughout the uh the songs and so we'll, we'll start going through these because um, you just released the ep the ep is called the recover ep mm-hmm. Uh, it's out everywhere. Good music is available. So um, what we'll do is obviously throughout the course of our conversation about these songs is after we uh, finish discussing one, we'll, you'll, you'll get to hear, get a chance to hear that song. And uh, um, hopefully if you like it, um, go out and support Clay. So before we get into it, though, tell people a little bit about your musical background, too. Um, you've been in the industry for, for some time now. And so uh, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I came up, you know, in church singing and playing music and um, knew pretty well through high school that that's what I wanted to do for a living. And so, um, therefore, was pretty terrible in school. And uh, once I got out of school, a few years after I graduated high school, uh, I started a band called The Undeserving, which you featured their music as well. Thank you very much. And, uh, we, uh, very long story short, we signed a record deal with Warner brothers. Um, it, we were on Warner brothers for maybe four or five years and it was a, just an absolute disaster, honestly, (laughs) but we got to do some amazing things. Um, and, uh, I always like to plug, I have a blog on that's on my, it's a pinned post on my Facebook page that tells kind of the whole story. Um, that's like a 15 part blog. I really wrote it for me, but if other people want to read it, then that's great. And that just kind of tells my whole story of, uh, my experience on a major record label. 
And um, so we uh, we called it quits in 2012, mostly because we were just flat out broke and couldn't afford to go on tour or make new music or anything. And um, I've just been kind of uh, releasing solo projects um, as often as I can afford to since then. And, um, you know, I write a lot of songs, record uh, even fewer, and uh, release the ones that I can afford to. So that's kind of how... <laughs> how things go at this point but uh yeah so i've been doing it a long time and writing songs a long time yeah and it's kind of remarkable i mean in in my various conversations with other musicians and folks who have you know been signed to various record labels and stuff like that it's it's eye-opening to find out just how the industry works and uh just how difficult it is no matter it really has nothing to do with talent uh it has everything to do with a lot of a lot of luck a lot of being mm-hmm. in the right place at the right time um you know, and, and just little things like the fact that like opening bands for larger bands, uh, oftentimes have to pay to even be on that tour, yep. much less make money. You know, you're lucky if you break even by the end of it, it's just, uh, remarkable. Oh yeah. We, we, we lost money in all sorts of different kinds of ways. Um, <laughs> we, I can tell you a story very quickly. We did, a um, a festival. We didn't play a lot of Christian shows we were not we did not have a christian deal we had a mainstream deal but um we every now and then we would play like a festival or something like that and we had a, a show in st louis there's a big festival i don't remember the name of it but um we had just put out our record that we made when we were on warner brothers but we had to put it out independently had had spent our own money on production costs and this would have been 2011 this was summer of 2011 and we uh, are we were flat broke, and um, this was a huge crowd. Our manager was like, "Hey, you guys need to go. I'll, I'll pay for you guys to go play this show. It's a five song slot in between Stephen Curtis Chapman and Jeremy Camp, and you're gonna ha- it'll be like maybe eight to ten thousand people, and you get five songs, and then you're gonna sell tons of records, and it'll be like a little kickstart for your record release. So." We go out, we drive the 10 hours. Um, when I say we were flat broke, I mean, we were broke. We were like <laughs> just scraping by. And so like just going out to St. Louis from Ohio, you know, gas in our big van and hotel room for the night, all stuff, like it all costs money, you know? And so we get, we get out there. Um, we go on right after Stephen Curtis Chapman, play our five songs. Everything goes great. And all we have left to do is, uh, wait for Jeremy Camp to finish and for the masses to come to the merch tents. We got our merch table set up right between Jeremy Camp and Stephen Chris Chapman. I mean, this is going to be like perfect. Well, a few songs into Jeremy Camp's set gets a little breezy and uh, starts to drizzle a little bit. And then we hear the sirens and all oh, no. of a sudden it is like tornado warning. <laughs> and we watch the crowds just like, I mean, they shut the show down and crowd just like dads with like lawn chairs in one hand and two kids in the other, just like running for the exits. And we're just sitting there in the merch tent going, oh no. And so sure enough, I mean, they shut the event down and uh, everybody just left. And so we had to call. I, I remember we like basically just drew straws to who's going to call our manager. And cause he was the one that forked over the several thousand dollars for us to play. And uh, he's like, how many records did you sell? And I was just like, four. (laughs) 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 And uh, 
he was very kind and gracious. We told him what happened, but it was just like that. That was a microcosm of our career, basically. <laughs> just awful luck. Oh, yeah, man. terrible. <laughs> so, uh, fast forward to uh, you know a few years ago when you're start starting to write this material. Um, mm-hmm. When you sit down to write a song, uh, do you typically? Because a lot of this is based on piano. Um, mm-hmm. So, do you typically sit down at the piano to to start crafting songs? Guitar, like. Do the words come first or does the music come first? Um, for me, it's a, a lyrical idea that I match um, the musical production and melody with generally. So I'll have, I'll have an idea that hits me. Um, and then for this project, it's mostly piano, but I'll either figure out piano, guitar or whatever, and then uh, kind of try to, uh, you know, bring the song to life from that point on. Very cool. And and one of the things I thought was really uh, fascinating is to kind of see it because you, you allowed Adam and I to kind of hear it and it's uh, rough stages. So I, I heard some of these demos like years ago mm-hmm. and to hear them in their final, you know, realized version uh, with all the orchestrations and things added to it, I thought was uh, pretty, pretty cool to see uh, kind of the evolution of the song. So what, what made you decide to um, kind of have the, base of it be on piano and then to add in some of those, you know, other effects after. Um, one, uh, this is an unsatisfying answer, but cost <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a, it's expensive to make a, f- like a full, uh, production album. Um, and so I just thought this material, um, it's a sad, it's a sad record. It's not something that is, I, I'm not, you know, that's no, there's no sugar coating. It. It's a, it's a song about, it's a record about, um, you know, like leaving your home and, um, it just felt like if there was something that I could, if there was a project that I could kind of get away with a more raw and a more raw production, uh, level that this would be the one. And I think it worked out beautifully. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I would have assumed mm-hmm. that that was the point game plan from the beginning. I think, um, I've always been a big fan of kind of more stripped down mm-hmm. uh, songs like, and by that I mean just like guitar, bass, drums, piano, you know, yeah, the standard instruments. Like I don't get me wrong. I love like the big overproduced stuff, you know, with the, you know, all the electronic music and gadgetry added to it. Like I, I do love kind of an overproduced big full sound as well, but I think the songs that stand the test of time are typically the ones that are more stripped down that you can't really nail down like when it was made per se. Like for sure. And, and the example that I always give is like, you listen to some like old Beatles stuff, like especially like in the later half of their career. And it really stands the test of time versus like George Harrison's album that he made in the mid eighties. You know, it sounds right. very eighties, you know? Yeah, for sure. So like, I think the stripped down stuff, I think as a result, like is more, uh, I don't know. It's, it's less, it, it, I think, I don't know what the, the, the way I'm trying to describe the, the word I'm looking for, but you know, it, I think well, it's there's more less universal. to hide behind. Yeah. There's less to hide yeah. behind, you know? And so when you strip a song down, you get to really see the quality and the craftsmanship of the, the melody and lyric, you know, and those, you know, those are your bones to any song. And so um, uh, yeah, that's something that I've always gone into any of my work in the forefront of my mind is having that, like the, the melody and lyric is the number one thing, you know, and 
making sure that those are um, authentic, honest, and um, done in a way that will, you know, capture people's attention as best I can do. Yeah. I'm such a huge fan of, of, uh, of, of good lyrics. You know, it's, uh, when it, when done right, it's, it reads like poetry, you know, and mm-hmm. speaking of which, I, you know, the lyrics on this EP are, are incredible. And I think a lot of people will identify with them, which was the first song that really kind of came to fruition out of this EP. Um, I, I believe it was recover the title track. Um, I was sitting, I was sitting kind of down in this, uh, in my basement here, which is where I do a lot of my writing and the, that song, the, that one's one that kind of came out in like 10 minutes, like the whole thing start to finish, um, in, in just a flood of tears. Um, and I really was, I wrote it sometime in 2016, either, uh, I don't know if it was before or after the election, but it was during all of that time. And, um, I just had this moment where like that this song was just kind of like my expression of, of pain and just kind of watching, um, watching everything that I thought I knew kind of unfold and unravel, you know, and which is a word that so many people have used. Um, you know, it was an unraveling for me. And, but on top of that, watching the American church then, inflict so much pain on so many people, you know, through politics and, and through, um, you know, a hunger for power. And so that's the song recover, which it turned out to be the title track. Um, and the last track on the record was the first one I wrote and and that kind of like kicked off all of it. Yeah. And I mean, this, this one's like, I think out of all the songs, I mean, they're all pretty, pretty raw and, and mm-hmm. brutally honest. I think this one probably, the most, you know, mm-hmm. it's really a critique of kind of your upbringing in the church. Mm-hmm. Certainly, you know, the first couple of verses like really speak to that and, um, and kind of the almost commercialism that the church has really adopted. It's really become in a lot of ways, at least in sort of Western Christianity, you know, we, you and, and Ab and I have had many discussions. We talk, you know, almost every other day probably. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, you know, we've debated the merits uh, of the mega church model and and kind of the corporatization of the church, and and obviously, I don't think any of us are overly huge fans of it. I mean, not to say that all mega churches are bad by any means. There's certainly um, the the ability to do things as a mega church, obviously, and the, and the ability to fundraise and things like that um, that smaller churches couldn't do. But uh, on the other hand, you know, obviously they're the I think the attraction to um, staying alive and um, making money and putting butts in seats uh, kind of tends to take over at that point, you know, and and that's where things tend to kind of veer off the tracks. And I, I think you you talk a lot about that, um, you know, in this in this song. Uh, one of my favorite verses in it, I think, is um, I sat myself in your pew every single week and I gave you my money so you could tell me what to think. Mm-hmm. You know, it goes back to the whole belief by proxy thing. And I always love that lyric. Yeah. Uh, it's so, it's so common that in the church that we, that we don't teach people how to think at all. You know, we don't teach people 
logic and reason and so much of um, even like church history is filled with half truths and important, important parts of the story left out. Like when I found Pete ends, he was life changing for me. Um, and so many of your guests on your podcast, especially the real nerdy Bible ones, man, because it's so much, so much of that was things I had just never heard before. And yeah. that changed and reshaped what I thought of the Bible. And then once you kind of get that information, you're like, Oh my goodness. Um, there's so much, there's so much value in this and there's, but it, it does, it changes and it shapes the way you think about everything. It's your, it's your whole worldview that, that tends to shift um, when it has been based on like kind of a single uh, interpretation of scripture. And then it, it just, yeah. Unraveling is what happens. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So talk about the, the opening track on, on the EP. It's uh, probably one of the more hopeful ones. Um, I think, I mean, I, let me take that back. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost all of your songs, d- despite the fact that they talk about something that's very hard to discuss and talk about and, and go through, certainly almost all of your songs do have like a hope, a tinge of hope in them. Like this can be better. Like you're hopeful, obviously that things can improve like through conversations like this. For sure. Yeah. So the first track is called burning bush and, um, it was inspired by a blog that um, Jonathan Martin uh, had written about how he kind of took the story of the burning bush and kind of, um, you know, revisioned it in a sense that so many of us are leaving the tribe of our parents and that we kind of have a calling that is similar to a calling that our parents may have felt, but it's like a calling in another direction. And so this originally was going to be, um, towards the end of the EP. And then we kind of decided that if it worked best as the opening track, cause it's only like a minute long and it worked best at the beginning because in a sense, that is what I went through kind of whether or not I was realizing it or not. It was like, I had this, I had this burning bush moment, you know, the minute I started writing recover that, that, Oh, these are things that I need to say. These are things that need to be said. Um, in that it just kind of worked as this opening track. There's a light on the hill from a bush that's burning And it's where only I can see It's not the same as the flame of my father But I think it's calling to me I think it's calling to me Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful song. I think that one and the the second song that we'll we'll talk about here, This Water I Am Treading, were Mm -hmm. the only two tracks I think I hadn't heard uh, in an earlier version. So it was cool. It was fun to listen to those for the first time. So so talk about the second track, though, This Water I Am Treading. Um, you know, it's kind of this uh this song about like kind of feeling hopeless and helpless and, mm-hmm. but at the same time kind of grounding yourself and, and something you can hang on to, which is love. Right. Yeah. So this is um, a song that my brother and I wrote. My brother actually started the song, gosh, like seven or eight years ago. And um, oddly enough, I was going 
through uh, some old YouTube videos yesterday and of his, and his original demo of it was in the background of this YouTube video, and I thought it was so funny. <laughs> and um, so, and what we did is we kind of revisited the song. We had we always wanted to put it out in some way. Um, it just didn't have a, a place for it. And this EP just felt like the place for it. Um, but it absolutely, it's, it's about the moment that you come to the realization that like, it's all crumbling and you just feel helpless and hopeless and you just feel it's, this is probably the saddest song on the record. Right. Um, and at the end, you're, you're right. You tell we tie it into like, there's still love. We can still love each other. We can still, um, make, the places and the people around us, um, you know, better. And so, but it is a song that's just really, um, about those, those first few, um, like days and months where you, you just feel like there's no hope in sight and that you don't know where to go from here. To my surprise, I can't accept that it was all just a lie. Do you believe in hope? Cause I am hopeless. Do you believe in love? Cause I'm alone. Do you believe in hell? Cause I am helpless. This water I am treading is now my own. Yeah, great, great track, man. Moving on to the next song, this is one of my favorites, uh, mm-hmm. and, and this is one I got to hear in its early stages. So, uh, I, and I, by the way, I I loved what you did in the first uh, first couple verses here because I, I did notice that you you talk about first of all the song is called "Does God," mm-hmm. uh, and in the first verse you talk about you know you're just kind of asking questions like does God have have a face you know does God have a body or even a name you know and then and then you say he at the beginning and then you switch in the middle of the verse to she, which I thought was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Obviously so this, that was intentional, right? <laughs> it was intentional for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is the last track that I wrote. Um, this is the last track I wrote for the EP. Um, this one took a while. Um, but I think for me, it was kind of one of the rare ones where like you, I feel like this is, um, I'll say this. It's my favorite song I've ever written. Um, it is not one that took 20 minutes, which are generally like, I feel like the best songs I write. This one took like eight months to really craft. Like the first 75% came out immediately. And then that last 25% was just really kind of getting it nailed down. And there was so much I wanted to say um, about like, you know, God's gender was one. And I wanted to keep the song about, yes, the question it's called, does God, the question of like, does God are all these things that we learned about God true, but also if there's one thing I can hang on to, or there's one, um, let's say, let's call it doctrine that I still love is that we are still made in the image of God. Now, you can, you know, quote unquote, deconstruct that doctrine and that idea and learn the history of it and all that kind of thing. But it's, there's something about it that is beautiful on its own is that each, each person and each living thing, you know, has this like divine spark to it. And so what I wanted to do was take 
that idea. And at the same time that I kind of reaffirmed that idea, I also wanted to flip it on its head and say, you know, even at the end, I, I used the word um, they, them for God as well. And I wanted, I wanted to include that. And I wanted to give um, every person that I could think of and have time to include, you know, (laughs) that people that haven't been included that yes, you too are made in the image of God. And so, um, yeah, this is for sure one that I think I'm uh, most proud of. should be man it's it's a great track um yeah i love that one and uh the the other one i love is the one right after that of course uh oh church Mm -hmm. and uh i believe i'm trying to think it was either this one or you must no it was you must go which we'll talk about here in a second that Mm -hmm. that made our friend cry (laughs) but (laughs) yeah yeah it really could have been any of them but uh so talk about O Church because O Church is really the one that I was kind of referencing earlier. That's really a critique of what the, the church as a physical building has seemed to become over the years. Yeah, and this one was probably the hardest one to write. Um, this one for sure, I wrote like the night after the election um, mm-hmm. in 2016. This was like that night, um, and it was kind of like, okay, this is this is that realization that it, um, my, my worst fears were coming true. You know what I mean? And, and it wasn't even about like who got elected and who didn't. It was about the spirit in which I felt like the church had taken that, um, demonized people that didn't deserve to be demonized. And it uplifted people that certainly, for me were the opposite of the Jesus that I grew up learning about and the harm that that caused. And so, Oh church, when I actually first wrote it, um, all of the, um, I guess the pronouns I used were like you for, I, I, I kind of separated myself from the church. Um, so like the first line is, Oh church, when did we lose our way? And when I first wrote it, those were all used. And so I wrote it from like the out as an outsider. And then after sitting with it for about a year, um, I decided that I needed to examine how I played a part in all of those, um, and, and all the things that the church did. And it felt, it felt way less vindictive if I, included myself and I changed those words to we. And, um, I think it works a lot better that way because it, 
like I said, it's less vindictive and it's, it's more, um, taking ownership and taking responsibility for the part that I played for sure. No church. When will we ever see? Until we're all treated the same and nobody is actually free. Oh, church. Absolutely. Um, so was it intentional uh, to, to place uh, you must go towards, towards the end? You know, like t- tell me a little bit about like what, what the thought process was behind the order in which you kind of placed the songs. Yeah. Um, so initially up until like a month before release, I had the order completely opposite. <laughs> I actually, oh, really? had, yeah, I had, um, does God was the last track. I almost had them in the order that I wrote them. Hmm. And once kind of, I sat back and examined it. My, my friend Tom who produced it, he was like, you really need to think about changing the order of this EP. One, there was some like logistical reasons for it. Um, you know, tempos of songs and you wanted to kind of keep, you know, you didn't want to put like the two slow piano ballads next to each other, et cetera, that kind of thing. And so we, we did, there was some of that, but then once we started analyzing, like I said earlier, the, how burning bush really seemed to like want to be that opening track. Um, and then kind of track track three is always like, you know, what you call your power track. Like that's, that's the one that you want. Um, like you've gotten two songs in and now this is like the big one. And that's, we just felt like does God belong there. And then to close the album, um, we felt like recover may still be the strongest track on the album. And so you must go and recover felt like they just needed to be together. They just needed to be like, they just flowed one right into the next one. And so you must go at track five just felt like the prequel to recover. You know what I mean? It was like, so you must go was a song I actually wrote after recover and it was, um, I actually had gone to a liturgist gathering in 2016 sometime, 2017 maybe. And I had uh, kind of prepared myself for the um, being able to like meet a whole bunch of people that had gone through similar things as me. And once I got there, it kind of turned into this like room full of people that had experienced pain and from the church and, and pain far worse than I had experienced. And so it became um, obvious to me very quickly, like that I just need to shut up and listen right now. And so these stories um, and you must go, so you, you must go as a story. It's about three different characters. 
um, who experienced pain in the church in different ways. Um, and two of them were, uh, two of the stories kind of came from that weekend. And one of the stories, um, is, is kind of my own. And so, um, it just felt like that song belonged kind of with recover and those two needed to be together. Yeah. This one, I think it, it, it is so powerful in, in, through the vehicle of, of, as you said, telling these different individual stories, like each, as you said, each verse is a story about a different individual, uh, who suffered at the hands of, unfortunately the church. Um, and man, the ending though, like, because it's, it's very, it's very sad throughout, you know, mm-hmm. but the ending is really uplifting, you know? Um, so talk about like, cause I'm sure the, the first few verses came out, uh, and then you're trying to probably figure out how to wrap this song up. And uh, you could have ended it just as is. And it would have been a very, very sad song, but but truthful and honest. Sure. And a reflection on how we should absolutely need to be better uh, to our brothers and sisters who don't quite fit in what we consider, you know, I don't know, the mainstream per se, mm-hmm. but like what Jesus, the, the, the types of folks that Jesus would have absolutely said, like, these are the people that you need to welcome in with open arms, you know, the people on the, on the outside, the people on the fringe, you know, the, right. the minority and, and the, uh, the refugee and the poor and the you know sick and yeah. the marginalized. Um, so how did you come up with, what was, what was the process for coming up with the ending? Cause the ending is really uplifting. It's this beautiful thing and it really tugs at your heartstrings. I mean, it's, I, it, I remember the first time you sent it to me, I played it. I was uh, sitting in bed one night and I, I turned to my, at, at the time, wife. <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh my gosh, you have to hear this song. This is this is heavy. And I played it for her. And I mean, we were both just like, damn, like <laughs> that's some truth right there. So yeah. So how did you come up with, with the ending? Because it is uplifting. Yeah. Um so, you know, spoiler, the ending is just this idea that the three characters are out now on their own and, but they all hear, you know, essentially the voice of Jesus and that he kind of like affirms them. And I think I needed to put that in there because I felt that I don't really know when, um, in my, in in whole, my whole process, but i I felt so drawn still to the character of Jesus. And so, um, you know, there's this video going around this week of um, a certain megachurch pastor kind of demonizing people who deconstruct. And (laughs) the, yeah. And the thing that just like, that always gets misrepresented is that like, no, nobody who deconstructs is deconstructing the love of Jesus. You may deconstruct like the story of Jesus and whether or not it happened. You can deconstruct the authenticity of scripture. You can deconstruct all of those things, but like the actual character of Jesus of one who affirms everyone on the outside. That is something that sticks with me now. 
even though I've thought through all of those things I just mentioned and had my views shift and they continue to shift and change. And so I just thought like that, that love and that grace and that healing um, is something that is real and tangible and that I have to figure out a way to like, this song wouldn't be complete without that. You know what I mean? Um, and, and also that I think that the church's only chance for like recovery and relevancy is to listen to the people on the margins and to turn over their power to the people on the margins. And that is how I wanted to finish the song. John was young and driven with a heart of gold Finished seminary, married, found a church he could call Made a living, giving, dying folks a shoulder and a hand Until he told his lead that he had some feelings for another man and they said John you must go and take your broken heart and walk it to the door we know you're But now you're damaged goods and you gotta give some more. John, we love you, but we can't love you. You must go. It's perfect, man. Yeah. Hmm. Really speaks, uh, puts words, puts into song. Um, a lot of thoughts that I've had since uh, since Adam and I started this this project almost six years ago now, or six years ago, whatever it was. Um, long time, we're old school now, apparently. <laughs> we're the OGs, which is weird to say. There's a lot of a lot of new ones out there, but we're, we're old school. Um, but yeah, it, it really puts into to music and puts into this beautiful story um, things that I thought for a long time. I, I think you put it so well. Like I've never. I've never had an issue with Jesus or any of Jesus' teachings. I think it's probably the best way to live, you know? Yeah. You should love other people, love yourself, um, you know, and uh, selfless love, too, you know, uh, love without strings attached. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's a difficult thing to do sometimes, And um, but that's part of the challenge, right? And so I've never had a problem with that. What I have had an issue with is some of the church doctrine that once you start digging uh, you can't unsee the fact that a lot of these things that we take um, as, you know, fact is not, in fact, the way that the early church viewed certain things, you know, and, and you can sure. get in all sorts of things like atonement theory and views on hell and heaven and the afterlife and all sorts of things. And those are the types of things that I think most people, yourself included, myself included, um, really have been struggling with over the years. I'm not even struggling with at this point. I'm not, I, I, I can't even say I'm necessarily struggling with anything. I'm just in a different place. Yeah, I've just evolved sure. to a different place. Yep. 
And, um, you know, I've taken more ownership over my own faith and, um, yes, my beliefs have changed a little bit, but it's all been based out of, you know, just wanting to know more and learn more and see how the original, uh, church kind of viewed, you know, uh, even the Bible, you know, for example, right. and like how they read it and yeah. things that they may have taken literally and other parts that they may not have taken literally. And like, how did they view this? What did this mean to them? What did these stories mean to them? For sure. And so like, if anything, you know, we get accused as folks who are, who have gone through going through uh, deconstruction as uh, folks who take things less seriously, you know, you don't take the Bible seriously. No, I, I take it more seriously to the point where I have done an absurd amount of, uh, research into it and talk to people far smarter than myself who have spent lifetimes studying it, you know, just because I take it so seriously, mm-hmm. you know, so, uh, I appreciate you, um, you know, putting into words and in a song, uh, what so many of us probably, uh, have felt for a very long time. So well, well done, Mr. Mr. Clay. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. Any, any other last words? Cause I know we kind of started off with the recover um, yeah. at the top, even though it's the last song. So uh, any last thoughts on anything else you'd like people to know about this project? Um, well, you know, it's a labor of love. Um, my uh, producer and good friend, Tom Darty, um, and uh, my other good friend, Mark Evitz, uh, who did the, all the string work on it. Like these, they wouldn't have been possible without the two of them, um, who worked really hard on it and, uh, yeah, would not, would, it just would not be possible without those two guys. And, um, you know, other than that, um, man, I would just say that, um, one, I appreciate everyone who's already kind of listened and, uh, we did a Kickstarter campaign for it to get it off the ground. And that was successful. And I had just like, I mean, I've just, I didn't even expect it (laughs) to make it, you know, and it, and it did. And so thank you to everyone who supported there. Um, so many people have reached out to me from hearing my music on your podcast. And so thank you for promoting it always. Um, so yeah, I think we covered everything on the record, but, uh, I, I would just say I'm, um, I'm honored and privileged to kind of be able to share it. And, uh, I just hope that, um, you know, I hope that people enjoy it and, um, it, uh, it can do some good reckon. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think now is probably a good time to, to, uh, to mention the fact also that, uh, I probably should have mentioned this up top, but, uh, you may have noticed if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, uh, that, Typically, we got into the rhythm years ago of using a different artist on every episode, which is fun and uh, exciting, but also very time consuming for me because <laughs> I have to reach <laughs> out to a ton of different artists trying to beg for permission to use their awesome music. And uh, that takes up a ton of time. Um, and also, like there just wasn't really anything that existed out there um, from a thematic standpoint that really fit as like sort of more so permanent theme music Mm. until now. And so you may have noticed that on the last several episodes, uh, we have had, uh, theme music for really the first time. And so, uh, so Clay has graciously uh, allowed us to use, uh, some of his songs, uh, off this EP to use as, um, our now go forward kind of theme music. So, uh, thank you for that as well. 
Yeah, my pleasure. I'm honored, so I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on, Clay. This is a lot of fun. And uh, folks, go out, uh, grab Clay's uh, music. Where can they Where can they find it? Where, what's the best place uh, to, to get it that puts the most amount of money in the artist's pocket? Let's go there. <laughs> sure. Uh, Bandcamp, if you want to just buy the, uh, you know, buy the files, you can also order a hard copy if you would like a hard copy. Um, I did get a very small number of those. Um, I'll send you one, John. Um, Sweet. I did get a very small run of those made. So I do have a handful of hard copies left. And um, so Bandcamp, you can find me there on, at, under Forest Clay. Um, yes, my last name is Kirchenbauer, but it's just, it's too hard to spell. And it, that was your idea, John, to <laughs> make me change my artist name because you, I was at your house and you said, Clay, you got to change your artist name because I can't ever find your music because I can't spell Kirchenbauer. And I said, you know what? (laughs) You know what? You're right. (laughs) I need to change my artist name. So my artist name is, uh, yeah, it's now Forrest Clay, which is just my first name. So, um, yeah, Forrest Clay in, on any streaming service, you'll find all my stuff on Bandcamp. Um, I just launched a TikTok. If you're on TikTok, I'm going to be playing a lot of these songs live on TikTok. Uh, you can find me there as well. So. Yeah, all, all the socials, um, and then I'm at Clay underscore K on Twitter. Perfect. Yep. Well, thanks again, man. Um, we'll have, like I said, uh, you would have heard, you will have heard uh, all the songs that we discussed throughout the episode. So uh, go out and so- support Clay if you can, and uh, we'll be back uh, in the very near future with uh, new content. Thanks a lot, Clay. Awesome. Thanks for having me.
Child.